Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio and got a great show planned for you today. I'm excited. Got another great interview lined up with a friend of the show. Hasn't been on in a long time. And I think it is funny today because it is, uh, I think it's completely appropriate. We got the right guy on for the right day. And uh, I'm excited again. Excited to catch up with him too. Just we have it's been a while since we chatted, but um, yeah, what a what a move this week. Pretty amazing. Um, not really, as you guys know. So so we'll get into the market update here. Oh, well, you know, hold on. Got a great show planned. So we're doing the interview, and uh, with Tobias Carlisle, who I affectionately refer to as our Viceroy of Value. Right, he's written uh, Deep Value. Uh, acquires multiple. He's got four books that are published. Um, and, and he is just really specialized in valuation and that traditional fundamental analysis. So I want to have him on today to talk about overall market valuation because um, this is, is this is pretty stunning. It's pretty amazing. It, it doesn't go against our narrative. We've said from the beginning of this move, even a year and a half ago, that we thought this would be a knife fight that this bull market, especially in tech, was not going to die easy. And so one of the reasons we've been watching that level and tracking those channels is because I thought at some point we would get a rally that would break out of the top end of that channel and press the 200-day moving average. The 200-day moving average is, like I've said before, guys, it's kind of like the 38th parallel in markets. And there's a bunch of different you know thoughts around it. The old saying, nothing good happens below the 200-day moving average. It's just it's it's a sign of the health of the market and the direction of the market. When the market is above the 200-day moving average, typically you're in a bull market. When the market is below the 200-day moving average, typically you're in a bear market. Now there's obviously exceptions to every rule, especially in finance. But this move is still amazing to me even though we thought it would do it this way. Just because you are now looking at a market that is trading at 22 times earnings, including energy. So if you back out energy, you've got to be looking at 25, 26 times earnings with interest rates where they're at, which is just stunning to me. Um, Again, there's just not too many examples of the market being this rich with the Fed funds rate up, you know, pressing five. It's just remarkable. Um, What's more incredible are the moves. So, like, for instance, today NVIDIA is rallying hard and it's broken above 200 bucks, which is it's a pretty it's a pretty, pretty important technical level. Now, it's only done it for a day. So we got to watch if there's carry through here. But what's amazing about that is that NVIDIA makes GPUs, okay? Intel makes processors. Every time, for the most part, every time you sell a processor, you need to sell a GPU. Conversely, nearly every time you sell a GPU, a processor is being sold. So the look-through between two companies is usually pretty solid. Intel does, announces a disaster quarter. Their stock gets hand, just handled by 7 to 8%. And this is a company that was already very cheap. Okay, This is a company that was trading at like 10 times earnings. They're getting hammered. And NVIDIA at the same time is accelerating to the upside while it's sporting an 85 price to earnings multiple and trading at 17 times revenue. I just... And it's a... Listen, it's a great company. I think NVIDIA does a great job. I am not telling you to short it. I'm not saying it's bad. I am just shocked. Not real. Like I said, in one way I am shocked. In one way I'm not. I just, I just can't tell you guys. If if you do this every day and you study this stuff for a living, you're watching these moves and they are just logic defying. You know, like 
if if a company like Nvidia would have been like you know trading at you know you know 20 times earnings or 25 you might be able to say okay maybe Intel's earnings mean that the bottom is in and so I guess you could probably see one but we're talking about a company that's already trading at 85 90 times earnings and and this isn't a small growth company guys they they got a 510 billion dollar market cap trading at 15 times no 17 times revenue anyway i again uh you know it's not fun if you're short tech at the same time you have to sit back and marvel because you're really seeing historic stuff and not that there aren't any comps in history you know you saw valuations like this in uh in the tech bubble, but it wasn't after the Fed had raised 500 basis points in the previous 18 months um, with earnings already trending down and consumer spending moving, you know, going in reverse. It's just incredible. So, um, so I think that we're, I think we're at a key point here. I mean, if you, I'll tell you what, the way we're looking at it is, uh, you know, I think that if you the, the way we're looking at it right now is if you if the Nasdaq breaks above twelve thousand one hundred ish in that level, which is about four percent from here, you, listen, you can't be short. I you know, w- which is hard for me to say because I just do not believe that the bottom is in here. But what have we talked about? You know, you got to pay attention to these to these things because. You know, markets can move in what, and they often do. They move in ways that don't make sense. And that, and that sometimes in the future, right? 18 months down the road, maybe it does make sense. You know, maybe the market, we've got to entertain the opposite, right? At the end of the day, as frustrated as we get, we're here to make money, right? And so we're not going to get everything right. The important thing is to manage risk, right? The important thing is that we don't lose big when we're wrong. And that's kind of why we've been waiting here for this market to get to this level. And I haven't liked it. I haven't not. I mean, there have been several times over the last two weeks where not having hedges in and not uh, not having shorts on just felt really wrong and felt really risky. Retrospect, I'm glad we didn't. Now, we put a few on earlier this week. Uh, was it Wednesday? So, might, might, you know, could be a little early. Who knows? But... Um, you know, I, my outlook hasn't changed, but it will, you know, one of the jokes we have around here, which is strong convictions loosely held, right? When, when things go against how we think they're going to and how they're going to play out, got to take notice, right? You can't be in calcitrant, sit there and go, Oh, now if you, if the NASDAQ were to break above 12,100, am I getting all bowled up and going all into trip? No, 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 no. Um, but that being said, I mean, <laughs> it is remarkable. Uh, then you see all the other ones today. Carvana, effectively bankrupt, up 21% on the day. Lucid Technologies on rumors that Saudi Arabia is going to buy the remaining stake of outstanding stock. They did not announce when. They didn't announce a price. Lucid's up by 50% on the day. Um, Tesla is up another 11.5% on the day, despite contracting margins. Now, they're saying that their order flow is extraordinarily strong, the strongest they've ever seen in first queue. It's kind of hard to marry up uh, what that means because they've just had historic price cuts, right? So I'm not really sure what the Tesla bulls are. Well, of course, let's be honest. Their shareholders don't really care a whole lot about fundamentals. But um, when you look at the retraction that these price cuts are going to make in their margins, they're going to be throwing up margins really similar to the other automobile companies. And those are stated and that if demand stays high. So I just with margins slipping already and price reductions, remember the the whole narrative behind Tesla is endless demand, right? Well, when you're slashing prices as much as they are across the board, what does that tell you? It tells you there is an endless demand. Now, it doesn't mean that demand is dried up. It just if you've got to if you've got to cut prices and contract margin to 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 continue selling. That means your demand is decreasing. So, 
you know, maybe this is a short covering route again, but see, here's the thing. The fundamentals have mattered on. And guys, this is why there's a thing that we say in markets, which is the market can remain irrational longer than you can stay solvent. And unfortunately, valuation is not a very good timing tool. Okay, so it's that's why we look at technicals too. These are classic advantages or examples. Well, think think about GameStop, right? We're we, like I said, we are probably the only people you know that are were long GameStop in the single digits before all that short squeeze stuff happened, and then sold at forty three. Why did we sell at 43? We sold at 43 because we'd been watching the company for years and we thought it was worth maximum 20 to 25 bucks a share. Okay. And nothing in the business had changed. Now at 43 to 50 bucks was GameStop really overvalued. Yes, it was insane. And I told people like the worst thing that happened to us on the GameStop trade was that we, that we knew the company too well. Right. As we're sitting there going 43, someone's going to pay us 43 for this thing. They can have it. Shoot. I wish I had more to sell them. Um, but what did it do? It went up to 450 bucks after that. Right. So you get into these bubble type environments where no one cares about valuation. And, um, you know, for instance, guys, I, you can't put like, I, I have not changed my outlook at all that we're, we're in the beginning of a recession that become apparent in the next two quarters. But with this kind of market action, I mean, you can't count out the possibility that this market could potentially make new highs with falling earnings and a recession. I mean, you can't. Do I think that's going to happen? No. But the action that I'm seeing here is so reminiscent of what we've seen over the last two and a half years. You, you can't count it out. You can't count it out. And, and I want to tell people like, you know, th there's those of you out there thinking, well, it's happened, you know, guys like you were saying that and Zach, you were saying I was during the COVID crash. I plead guilty. We've seen several examples of these scary drops and then just things to reverse. There's one big thing though, guys. And this is to me what I keep coming back to why I believe that we've got lower to go. You know, I've been saying, I don't think we've got a crash on our hands necessarily, but I don't think we're through the worst of it. And the reason why I don't is because of the monetary backdrop, right? When there's 0% interest rates and we're printing as much money as we were, there really is no limit on where the market can go. Now, it doesn't mean it's rational. It doesn't mean you want to buy it at those levels. And it doesn't mean that buying at those levels, it might feel good for a year or two, but it doesn't mean that buying at those levels is going to return. And usually it doesn't. Every time in history, you go up and you buy at those levels, your 10-year returns are awful. But this is why I keep saying like, you know, this is a perfect example of strong opinions or, or, or strong convictions loosely held because like we've been saying, you know, history is very clear. Financial rules are very clear. All this kind of, you know, this market to me is still in the crosshairs. And until the NASDAQ can break above that 200 day and hold there for multiple trading days, you know, I'm not going to be convinced. That being said, you have to guard against that potential. You just do, because this is such an unparalleled environment, you know? Um, I wish I could be one of those guys that was absolute. You need to do this. Don't buy into this. This is faking you out. I just, when you get, I mean, Carvana, Carvana to me is a perfect example, okay? Carvana's up 20 21% today, okay? The trajectory of that company is pretty clear. First of all, it very much appears that they got a business model that doesn't work without 0% interest rates. Second of all, they've just had a mat. I mean, even if they survive this, which it doesn't look like they will, um, as a matter of fact, all their creditors seem to be cooperating. And, and from the last I heard, now I haven't been digging into this, so don't take this as gospel. But the last I've heard, nobody really seems too interested in it being an ongoing process. They just want to get their money back. Now that could have changed, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not, I have not done deep dive analysis on Carvana truthfully, because I don't think it's worth it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a car company and it's still, it's, it's still richly valued when you consider its balance sheet. And so as long as this environment exists, you know, look at them still running stocks like GameStop and Bed Bath and Beyond, and it's on the verge of bankruptcy. Um, AMC, the movie theater company, when you've got an environment where people literally will, they know what's happening in terms of, they know that these companies are in trouble. 
they know that they're going declining earnings and they don't care. I, you just can't discount that. You just can't discount it. And then the other thing that you got to think about is what me and Mike Green have talked about. What we've talked about for years on this is you got to consider the environment. You got to consider exchange traded funds. Why is that important? Because most people out there have their 401k plans on autopilot, right? Every two weeks, they're just buying the S&P and the NASDAQ, right? SPY and triple Q. And then when you combine that with the hysteria in retail, like I've told you guys, it doesn't matter what the underlying valuation of a company is. In the long run, it always has, and I believe it still will. But in the short run, if people want to buy it and more people are willing to pay a higher price than people are willing to sell it, right? Like just the flow of capital. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions out there, right? That the, the, the stock market price you see today is the actual price. Right. When in actuality, that price is just the last trade. It was what the last person was willing to sell it and the last person was willing to buy it. But that, but those disconnects can stay in play for a long time. Those disconnects can apparently stay in play even when the Fed is raising rates at a historic rate. Those dynamics can stay in play when the underlying economy is clearly slowing massively, where consumer spending is dropping, where rates make buying things prohibitive, where companies are slashing prices to, 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 uh, to maintain demand, you know, where everything we look at is getting worse and the price of the stock is moving in the opposite direction. And everybody's like, well, why are you bringing up Tesla? It's already gotten slaughtered. Guys, after it quote unquote got slaughtered, it's still trading at multiples that are 10x what other auto manufacturers are trading at. And remember, all, a lot of the stories behind why that valuation is worthwhile have evaporated. Well, we've got stronger margins. Not anymore, you don't. Not after those price cuts. Right? So, you know, I mean, unequivocally, there's no way that anybody would look at any books. Well, I mean, there's a couple analysts out there, but I'm saying on a financial basis, right? You, you, everybody would look at Tesla. There's nobody that wouldn't agree that it's, you know, that, that it's expensive to a point that doesn't really make sense, especially when you compare it to its peer group. Um, But, you know, if people, again, if people want to keep paying prices for it, does the move on NVIDIA make sense when you're looking at other companies? No, makes it makes negative sense, actually. But if people are willing to pay that price then they're willing to pay that price. So, um, again, you know, I, I think we're right there. I think we're right at a, I think we're right at the top of this run. Um, the technicals sure don't look like it. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. You look at this market, especially if you if the Nasdaq can close and hold above the 200 day. I so the way I'm looking at that, guys, is I'm not going to play it at that point. I'm going to keep the stocks that we own, and I will not have any hedges on. Again, we just put on a few this week. I'm not advising you to do that. Don't go take any of these actions. Um. But we thought it would get this extreme. I didn't think it would stop at that level of the channel. I thought it'd go up to the 200 day and here we are. Why? Just because we've been, again, all the factors we've been talking about, we just thought that this move both to the downside and to the bear market rallies, we thought this would be one of the most extreme bear markets in history in terms of the peaks and valleys. You know, meaning I thought that you know, and I, I think that it's entirely possible that you see this go above the 200 day moving average on the NASDAQ, everybody going, here we go, we're off and running again, and then just collapse back down. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying we've been, we, internally, we've been looking at this for the last couple of years and just saying, expect extreme, right? Expect extreme. Because for, again, for 15 years, if you want to beat the market and make ridiculous amounts between 30 to 40% a year, it's just been buy every dip on tech, buy every dip on tech. If we run into problems, the Fed will cut. And I think there's kind of a game of chicken going on. We'll talk about that a little bit in the next, in the, uh, uh, in the next segment. I think there's a game of chicken going on with the Fed and um, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. Um, I was just talking to our trader about that game. Anyway, I don't want to give it away. Let's get on the rest of it. So I talked a little bit about this. Um, I think guys, Intel gave results that really fit our outlook of a recession. Um, I've kind of started to view semiconductors, microchips is kind of the new copper, right? So, um, you know, we used to refer to it as Dr. Copper, 
right? If you wanted to know the trajectory of the economy, look at the price on copper. If copper's in a bull market and it's moving north, you're in a growth expansion area because people are building more stuff. Demand for copper is higher. When copper started to wane, that meant construction demand was starting to slow, right? So I kind of look at, I think copper is still important to look at, but I think semiconductors, because they're in everything that we do now, I think that they're almost a better look through. Intel is still the biggest chip provider in the world. And so, uh, you know, when you look at that and you look at the earnings they just posted, it looks recessionary. Uh, there just seem to be a big group of stocks that don't care about that or fundamentals or valuation. So um, it's kind of weird in the sense that all of the hard data that we're looking at confirms the view. And yet market prices do not. And at the end of the day, eventually, right, price is right. I mean, yeah, in the short term, I should say. Uh, but you got to respect it. Because price looks really bullish right now, despite the backdrop. So, and is it potential? You know, like I've said, guys, I I've never there has been no circumstances in history where you stack up all of these macro factors and you've not had a bona fide recession. Just because it's never happened doesn't mean it can't. And so you just got to be, you know, that's the thing about this this game. Um, do I think it's going to end that way? No. Um, but you got to keep your head on a swivel, and I think this goes back to risk management. You know, you just got to, you got to, isn't, especially preparing for, uh, you know, retirement and everything. We have to be concerned more, in my opinion, preparing for retirement. We got to be more concerned about avoiding the catastrophic loss than we do milking every bit of upside out of this. Um, I'm going to be somewhat incalcitrant on this move. Like I said, I'll pull my shorts, but we're not jumping in the pool. Not with this backdrop, not at these prices. Um, that's just that's kind of where we are. The other thing that has been supportive of stock prices as of late is financial conditions easing. Remember, we talked about the five horsemen of the apocalypse. One of them was the dollar. The dollar's now pulled back to right around 102 on the DXY. That is still elevated, but it is a far cry from that 115, 116 level we were at at the peak. So that is supportive. Now, that kind of I might have some noise in it because something called the TGA, which is the uh, what is it? The, it's the government government treasury account or the government spending account or something like that. Um, anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a basically a reserve account for the U S treasury that they can spend at their discretion. And um, they've been spending out of that and burning that down. And so there's those that argue that as part of the pullback. And, but I mean, so you've had the TGA spending coming out of that account from the treasury rates have pulled back a little bit. Dollar has pulled back. So financial conditions have eased. Um, so, you know, the other thing that the thing that I think is happening is that you've just kind of seen a loosening. Things don't happen in real, you know, uh, in real time. Right. So you've seen a little bit of a loosening on, on in financial conditions. And that has coupled up with the Fed t- slowing down rate hikes. And that has, uh, you know, I think and, and I think some, you know, that that added some buoyance to the market. And I think it's that plus short covering that really explains this recent run. But, um, you know, maybe not. We got to keep our eyes ahead on a swivel and, and manage risk. Anyway, got to take a quick break, guys. As always, you heard what I said. I don't think we're out of the woods. I do not think everything is free and clear. I think we still need risk management looking at these valuations. If you want an actively traded portfolio where we're constantly managing it 24 hours a day, guarding it against catastrophic loss, give us a call, guys. 866-779-RISK. and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boardcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey there, it's Lars Larson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What's the biggest risk now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Due to all the money printing from central banks in the long period of zero interest rates, some serious inflation is hit, I'm sure you're aware. And inflation crushes bonds. We've been talking about it for seven years. If your portfolio has a significant portion in bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy. You do need one. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. This shows you how to protect your retirement against loss. 
but still get market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. To learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you for sticking with us. Okay, so let's get to, want to cover two things here in this segment. Want to cover the game of chicken that I think is being played by investors and the Fed right now. And then also want to talk, I've been getting so many questions about the debt ceiling and the centralized, and in, in, in a, in a centralized or a central bank digitized currency. So we're going to address that too. But let's first talk about the game of chicken here. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I find interesting about this move is there's really two ways to look at it. So if I'm sitting back putting my Federal Reserve hat on and Now, let's say right out of the gate, guys, I want to be 100% transparent. This is completely anecdotal. Okay, this is based on my readings and observings of the Fed over the year and books I've read about them and all that kind of stuff. But I haven't talked to these people. I talk to people that claim to talk to these people, but I can't verify that. So I always think it's very important that we point out conjecture versus fact, anecdote versus concrete, you know what I mean? Like a, or or anecdotal versus firsthand um, and, and caveat that because, you know, the longer and longer that I've managed money, it's all about hedged decisions. Meaning I very, very rarely feel a hundred percent on anything. Every once in a while, when I do, those are really fun times because they just come to you. You know, it was like at the end of 2020, was it 2020? Uh, no, it was at the end of 2021 when tech went on a run and, uh, energy got hit and, I confidently re-upped on energy and increased our short positions on tech. I just saw it, you know, I will be the first to admit right now. I do not feel anywhere near that certain right now in this market. Okay. So all the full caveats in, if I'm sitting back as a fed member and I'm looking at the correlation between consumer spending in the U S stock market, which that correlation has gotten tighter and tighter and tighter over the last several decades. And I think there are several reasons for that. I don't think that that's purely unhealthy. I think one of the reasons for that is the biggest and richest generation in U.S. history is retiring. You know, it's halfway through their retirement cycle and their spending habits, their con- the way they feel about the economy, their ability to spend is greatly impacted by market moves. Right. So that's part of it. I think interest, extreme interest rate policy has been part of it. I think extreme fiscal policy has been part of that. A lot of different things. But if I'm sitting back as as a FOMC member, Federal Open Market Committee member at the Federal Reserve Bank, I'm looking at this thing and going, wait a second. If we're trying to tamp down inflation, why are these people trying to expand stock multiples while we just raised interest rates by 500 basis points or close to it? And I think that they're sitting there and this would make sense. Again, this is my extrapolation on the Fed. I think they're sitting there somewhat frustrated by the market because they understand that a higher market and a market moving north feeds directly into inflation. I, 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 I would bet my bottom dollar that they, I, they are not unaware of that correlation. And as you see this market ramp, commodities have been doing very well, too. Not as good as the NASDAQ, but, you know, they've obviously done a lot better than NASDAQ over the last, you know, two years, certainly. And so my feeling and this game of chicken. Now, if I'm sitting back analyzing the Fed. I'm, I'm looking at this situation and going, if this thing continues, if this optimism continues and multiples continue to expand. You may, you're probably going to see a reacceleration of consumer spending. You're probably going to see commodities continue to drift higher. You're probably going to see a bid come into housing and all of the things that drove inflation up will probably reaccelerate. Again, this is my understanding of the Fed. I don't think they want the market here. I don't think they want it to crash. I know they don't want it to crash, but I don't think they want it here. I think they want things more gloomy to tamp down consumer excitement. Now, the... The, the other interesting thing, and we've intimated this and discussed this a little bit on previous shows, 
But a lot of what's driving this bullishness is the belief that the Fed is going to capitulate, where I look at it the exact opposite. I think this bullishness is going to force their hand and cause them to hike further than they otherwise would. Now, that's based on my understanding. Right. One of the things I've got to entertain is maybe I'm not reading the Fed correctly, because in one in one lane, Powell will get up there and deliver a talk and he'll say there's going to be pain. This is going to hurt. And that conditions are favorable for us to continue hiking. And then in the next vein, literally sometimes the very next day, you'll get Lael Brainerd or, or another member of the FOMC to come out and start saying, hey, you know, we think that we can slow down or we think we can stop raising rates, right? So it's like they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. And that's kind of what keeps me from being committed to the idea that they want the market to drop more or they want it to stay more suppressed is because if they did, I they continue to soothe, right? Now, remember, we got to think about market dynamics. The market is going to price in Fed activity or what they believe to be Fed activity into the future, right? And the Fed is backward looking. And one of the errors, if I am correct, if the Fed sees and respects that same correlation between the stock market and consumer spending, and they don't want the market to accelerate to the upside. Now, another conjecture, a couple guys that I follow and speak to that, that, that claim and have demonstrated somewhat of an inside knowledge of what's going on at the Fed before, claimed claim that the line in the sand for the Fed is around 4,100 4, to 4,150 on the S&P, that they don't want the market to accelerate above that because they believe that will actually stoke inflation back up. Now, again, I can't verify that. I just know that these guys have demonstrated somewhat of some inside knowledge in the past and they've got a good track record, but I don't know who they, you know, I don't know them. I don't know who they're talking to, but that would seem to jive with the way I see it. Again, it's, you can just pull up a chart and look at the correlation between the S and P 500 and consumer spending. I mean, it's undeniable and you know, they feed into each other. So, I mean, I, I, I look at it that way, but the game of chicken really in my mind is being played that, that all of this bullishness is being supported by the idea that the fed is going to capitulate where I look at it and say, the further you push it up, they don't need to. Now, if I'm correct, if I'm sitting at the FOMC today, one of the things that I would be thinking about is potentially throwing a surprise hike. Now, again, that's if they see it the way that I do or the way that I believe that they do. And I don't know that. So I'm kind of off in philosophical land here. But what I do, and there's precedent for this in the past, Volcker did it, uh, Greenspan did it, where in between meetings, they throw a surprise hike. And the reason I think, again, if they see it the way that I do and they don't want this market running away again and commodities to go with it, the way I would play it is I would throw a surprise 25 bips hike at the market in between meetings. And the reason I do that is because in reality, what is the difference between a Fed funds rate at 4.75 versus five? Nothing. Okay. And you can pull that back if you need to at any moment. But what it would do, it was, it would reinstill investor belief that the Fed is not a gameable entity because right now what people and what they've been doing for the last 15 years, and you could see this in 2018 very clearly, and I'll, I'll, I'll dive into that in a second, but investors have been front running the fed. And that's why buy the dip has worked so well, right? Cause the dip was going to make the fed either increase quantitative easing. So push more liquidity into the system or cut rates. So it was almost like good news is bad news. Right, because we've been running off monetary policy. Th- this reminds me perfectly of the end of 2018. There was a little bit of economic weakness, but not really. The economy was in pretty good shape. But Powell started hiking, and I believe he got two hikes, or did he get up to 50 bips or 100 bips, something like that? But for a very short period of time, I think we were off the zero bound for like 14 months, maybe 12 months, somewhere in there. It was a very short period of time. And what happened? The market plunged going into the end of the year. Right. And then what happened? Powell comes sprinting out of the Eccles building and cuts rate back to zero and market boom pops up 30% the next year. And so what they're doing right now is they're trying to, in my opinion, they're trying to give us the medicine, but they're soothing us at the same time with their gentle words. And I think that's the problem.
And I don't, in, in my opinion, it does not seem to me that the Fed gets that. It's their forward guidance that's the problem. Because while they're still guiding, while their actions are hawkish, they're guiding. And, and you know, it, it, I get the impression, I get where investors are getting it. I get the impression, despite their actions, that there are a lot of hard talk. And the minute the real pain starts, they're going to jump in there and start spraying money around again. And 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 now, just so you know, I don't think this is the base case. I don't. I would not bet on this happening because it cuts against 15 years of what they've been doing. So I'm not saying I think this is going to happen. But I think the odds of it are better than most people think. A surprise 25 bit hike. And I think that would actually be a healthy thing for the market because it puts the Fed back into a position where investors are not certain about what they're going to do. And like I said, the market is forward looking. The Fed is, I, in my opinion, listening to Powell talk, he seems frustrated, right? He seems frustrated, but the market is looking at what they think he's going to do in the next 12 to 18 months, not what they're doing right now. And I just think, I think they got to switch it up. And there's this game of chicken going on right now where now maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is the beginning of a soft landing and the Fed is perfectly in control. I just, I, it's just never been the case, right? They were late to the party. Inflation was transitory. They've come in too hard to the party, smoked real estate, smoked car sales. Consumer spending is stalling out. Intel is shut, right? All of these things. I think they've hiked right into the beginning of a recession yet again, but I may be wrong. So the other thing, so we want to skip now to talk about the debt ceiling in a centralized bank currency and see, I've, and I've got tons of questions about this. Let's first deal with the debt ceiling, guys. We've got to stop reacting to things every single year like it's the end of the world. We've been having these debt ceiling fights now for a decade or more, okay? Now, the one thing in the past, I completely brushed off debt ceiling talks because under normal circumstances, it wouldn't even be a consideration. When you look at the, in my opinion, historical divide between right and left, when you look at that, how massive that ideological val- valley, it's not even a gap, a valley between the two parties has gotten, how extreme both parties have gotten, I don't think that you can say that the chance of not having or, or, or not extending the debt ceiling is zero. Okay, but here's the catch. If it's the Republicans who dig in their heels and don't push up the debt ceiling, it is going to create chaos and it's going to be an absolute smackdown to them on a political basis because the media and the Democrats are going to paint it on them and they probably should, right? People go, should we extend the debt ceiling? Well, no, ideologically, but if you don't, you're going to go into default, so you have to. To me, the crime was getting to this point, right? But at this point, I mean, I mean, you've gone down this road, you're 150% debt to GDP. What did you think was going to happen, right? You cannot, you cannot vote for and approve all these budgets, and then when you bump up against the debt ceiling, sit there and go, well, we're digging in our heels. Well, you voted for the budget, man. You passed the spending resolutions, And if they don't extend the debt ceiling, it will create somewhat of a soft default, meaning it could create a default in the short run or, or, or a setup for a default. But here's the other thing. Remember quantitative easing? If, if treasuries get rocked in that process and it's all great, first of all, again, like I said, I I just don't see it happening because it would unleash chaos in financial markets, but you can't put the possibility at zero. So if they were to do it, if they were to dig their heels in and get that in calcitrant, and I think you'd see the Fed step in, run quantitative easing, and run the yields on treasuries right back down again. The Fed's not going to sit there and let yields go to 8% or whatever the heck it would be. Right? They'll do what the Bank of England did, step in and start buying bonds again. So, and then, and then to that, so I, so I do not think the debt ceiling. Now, could it cause incredible turmoil over a week or two? Sure. Is it something that shouldn't change your investment approach or expect, you know, a different outcome by the end of the year? No, I don't think so. So I I just think it's a lot of nothing, guys. Uh, The other one, central bank currency. Guys, there's been a lot of questions about this. I'm going to I'm going to give you the short and dirty on this one. First of all, I don't know exactly what the ramifications of a central bank digital currency would be. Um, but I don't think they're going to do it. I think people are misunderstanding what they mean. I think they mean a digitized token version of the U.S. dollar. Okay, now, do I think it's a good thing? No. 
I mean, for transaction ease and things like that, it's a good thing. But I mean, I think it cuts into freedom, cuts into liberty. It gives government more transparency into into our transactions. But I don't really think it changes anything. And the people out there are going, oh, we're going to a central bank digital currency. I, I mean, it seems like only a matter of time until that happens. But it's not happening right now. And there's no way to play it. You know, so let's focus on things we can control, things that we know for sure. Right. Things that we that, that, that are actual threats, because personally, I don't think that that changes anything as far as markets are concerned. I don't think it's good for freedom, but we've been doing things that aren't good for freedom in this country for a while. Right. So I don't think that's really anything new. But when you get people trying to scare you about these things, guys, there's real things to focus on. None of those two are them. I don't think either of one of them are actionable. And I'll tell you what, if if that debt ceiling thing did go through and and U.S. government bonds got trashed and yields popped, I would be stepping in buying with both hands. Okay, because the Fed is not going to let that situation spin out of control. They just won't. They can't. And, and it would just – it would devastate uh, global markets. So – and then whoever did that would have to wear it, right? So, I mean, it would just kill them politically. So – you know, and if you're one of those people out there going, well, they shouldn't give on the debt ceiling. Well, if you think that, you better be prepared for Democrats to have a supermajority in the House and the Senate. Okay, because that would be the result. So ideologically, I agree. We need to deal with this debt. I'm just saying, if if you're one of those people that thinks we do, chances are you're more on the conservative side. And if you stick to your guns on that, you're going to have a Democratic supermajority in Congress. And then they'll be able to do whatever they want. So anyway, hey, we got to take a quick break. We're going to be right back with a few minutes of the, uh, my interview with my man, Tobias Carlisle. Uh, stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're not going to want to miss it. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Lars Larson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, it's inflation, and it's here. With all the money printing from the Fed and long period of zero interest rates, the bills come and due, and inflation's going up. And when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been saying it for years. If you're using bonds in the old school 60-40 mix with stocks as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. What should listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach right now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, and SEC registered investment advisor you're listening to know your risk radio with zach abraham chief investment officer at bulwark capital management and we are back thank you so much for joining us and this is a once again time for my favorite part of the show told you guys we had a good lineup of uh interviews and and this guy this guest mr tobias carlisle was was kind enough to we had to move the schedule around. I had a last-minute cancellation. He was kind enough. I know he's a busy man to fill in for us. And I had him on the list anyway just because uh, it had been a while and wanted to catch up. So, Tobias, without further ado, thank you for coming on the show today. And it's it's been a while, man. Good to see you. Yeah, likewise. Always good to chat to a fellow traveler. How are you, Zach? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. No complaints. Got through last year pretty unscathed. Uh, my, my fund, we, I, we were down, my portfolio was down about 9.9, which was frustrating. But, uh, you know, there was certainly worse, i.e. Kathy Wood. Uh, <laughs> there, was some, there was some carnage, man. It's been a while since we've talked. So before we get too far into the state of play today, um, it was kind of a kind of a big year last year. Um, a, lot, a lot happened. It kind of give us your synopsis of... What happened last year and, and what you saw, what you make of it, and um, where you think it leaves us now? You know, I'm a deep value guy, so I like to buy 
basically securities that people forget about where the business is still very good. It's still printing money. It might not be super growth, um, but there's often pretty good growth in there. It's just it's not the kind of growth that gets the growth guys excited. It's not like 15, 20, 25, 30% a year. My, you know, my definition of good growth is like 7% a year is pretty, pretty uh, hot growth for as far as I'm concerned. As long as it's translating into free cash flow, falling to the bottom line, management's doing the right thing, buying back stock. So it tends to be um, a pretty conservative portfolio that does a little bit better in good times, does a little bit worse, and does a little bit. Uh, doesn't do as well as it as it does in good times, but sort of tends to do a little bit better in the market than down down years. We went through 2019 and 2020, which were particularly bad years for my brand of value. It lagged the market and uh, saw a lot of multiple compression, which is unusual, uh, which means that the prices go down, even though the business is doing pretty well underneath. But since uh, late 2020. Um, we've gone back into a more normal environment for my type of investing where value tends to do a little bit better quality, which is another um, factor that people look at in relation to the funds. That's I, I tend to score quite high on those just because I like cash flows and I like cash on the balance sheet rather than debt and you know uh, losses, which is which is what which is often how you get the growth. You got to you know burn the boats. So I. Um, have felt that the world has returned to normal a little bit more. Certainly, 2020 tail end, like that last quarter of 2020, and then um, 2021, 2022 was a rough year because at the same time, we've got the value doing its own thing. The market itself, the index, is doing something different. So, the index... And we, we, we'll get right into this, I'm sure, but I have felt for a very long time the index has been unusually expensive, and you can look at it on any metric. Schiller PE, which takes a cyclically adjusted um, uh, CPI-adjusted look at the earnings of companies. So it takes a 10-year average and it grosses up the earnings from 10 years ago because they always look a little bit lower if you don't adjust them for inflation. And then it just compares those earnings to where the index is. And the reason that you would use that is that the single-year metric, you know, in 2008, the banks wrote off so much of their earnings. They had such large losses that the whole index earned nothing. But that was a very good year to be buying stock because the index was quite low. And so the index, the PE, the single-year PE would have shown you that it was an infinite PE because there were no earnings, and that's a very high PE. Whereas the, the, the cyclically adjusted one said it was a much lower PE and was probably a good opportunity to buy some of the index. But you don't have to use the earnings metrics. You can use, so Warren Buffett uses one called the total market capitalization compared to gross national product. So total market capitalization is Russell 5000 or however many listed stocks you can sort of dig up and you look at all of their share prices multiplied by the shares outstanding, it gives you the total market capitalization. And then you just compare that to gross national product, which is all of the earnings of the companies that are resident inside the states and their global earnings. And so that metric is as stretched as the Schiller PE. And the other one that people like to look at is called the Tobin's Q ratio, which is the replacement value of assets versus the market price of those assets. So when the market is frothy, the market price gets very high relative to the actual cost of those assets. You can replace them for not much. When it gets very stretched, it indicates that the market's overvalued. When it gets closer to the replacement value, that indicates that we're getting closer to fair value. So all of those three metrics, which look at very different things, the size of the stock market relative to the economy, what the assets cost, what the earnings are generating, they all indicate we've been in some of the most expensive markets we've ever seen, which is kind of extraordinary. Probably the driver of that is we've had interest rates lower than we've ever seen before, and that's just what tends to happen when you can't get much of a return investing in um, safer government-type securities. You just go up the risk curve and you look for slightly riskier things and you do that incrementally and you do that over a decade and you wind up where we were, which is an incredibly expensive market. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a crash because it's impossible to predict crashes when they happen as anyone's guess. And we've talked about this for a long time and we still haven't seen one, even though all of the conditions are there. But what it does tell you is that forward returns are going to be much lower. That's just what happens. There's a sort of gravity in the market. The underlying earnings only go up about 6% a year. 
and the stock prices tend to get a little bit ahead of that and then they something happens the market changes they collapse back down to where they were and then they go on their merry way you you're very unlikely over a longer period of time to have losses in the market but in any short period of time that can certainly happen so i think last year was you know after a crazy 2019 and a crazy 2020 we saw some compression in those values i think it was i think from the Beginning of the year to the end of the year, it was close to sort of 20%. It may have rallied a little bit at the end. It was in that sort of range, down 20% for the year. But we had been so overvalued, it didn't really rub out that overvaluation. It just got us back to kind of where we were before the whole thing went. You know, we had all that COVID stimulus and before that sort of made the market go bananas. It's still very, very expensive by those metrics that I was discussing before, which typically means that returns are going to be lower and that often uh, accompanied by a whole lot of volatility so we can go down a lot. And I think that a good sort of corollary or a good analogy in recent memory for a lot of us is that early 2000s where big, really good companies were still big, really good companies and underneath they did, you know, they had great years. They went up they grew earnings over the full 10 or 15 years to 2010 or 2015, but the stock prices went nowhere. And in between, you had two huge crashes. And that's entirely possible for that to happen here. Now, that's all very dour news. That all sounds like it's really bad news. But I think that um, while the market has been running up like that and all of the money's been running towards tech, on the other hand, all of these value stocks have really been left behind. And so now you can – Cliff Asness, who runs a quantitative investment firm called AQR, or uh, Wes Gray, who I wrote Quantitative Value with, um, he runs a, a firm. They track the, these metrics. Uh, and Joel Greenblatt, who runs Gotham. All right, guys, due to time constraints, we got to cut the interview off right there. But as always, pretty much every podcast engine out there has it. So just you can just Google Know Your Risk Radio podcast. You can hear the rest of the interview if you want to know what's coming up. Have a phenomenal weekend, and we'll see you next week. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.